I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, higher ed's gap year. I'm old enough to remember when the 2021 session was going to be all about higher education, just as the 2019 session was all about public education. So much for that along with so much else as we limp into month 12 of a public health emergency and month three of a biennial convening of state lawmakers in which both the agenda and everyone's bandwidth are necessarily limited. That's not to say there isn't a real need to focus on the state's colleges and universities, which have been in their own way every bit as challenged as the public schools, as they tend to our kids and grandkids, brothers and sisters, moms and dads our future workforce, the future leaders of Texas, America, and the world. But it may have to wait until 2023, when all of this presumably will be behind us, when the fire hose of calamity and catastrophe has reduced to a trickle and our boring old policy debates have returned to normal. Seriously, who wouldn't kill for the most controversial topic on the docket to be approval of tuition revenue bonds? Let it be said that higher ed continues to grapple with the basics, access, affordability, and excellence. Who can get in and where, how to find a way to pay without drowning in debt, and what you get for all that money. Completion remains a problem. Fewer than one in four students who enter the eighth grade here earn a degree or certificate within six years of high school. And if they're black or Hispanic, male or poor, the odds are even lower. Speaking of race, there are overdue conversations about equity and inclusion across all campuses at the moment and a need to better serve the underserved. And there are newer conversations about technology made more urgent by two and a half semesters of mostly online classes, about the prospect of virtual learning hanging around as a component of higher ed post-pandemic and how the digital and device divides threaten to widen the attainment gap. And still and ever, there is football. Surely you didn't think we were going to do a whole podcast about higher ed without talking about football. This week's guest, Renu Kator, has been thinking strategically about these and other issues in Texas for 13 years. That's the length of her tenure as chancellor of the University of Houston system and as president of its flagship campus, the University of Houston, whose student body of more than 47,000 is among the nation's most diverse. She had her hands full pre-COVID. They're even fuller post-SNOVID, as she told me on the morning of Monday, March 1st, day 49 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Greater Texas Foundation, and the Trellis Foundation, and by Cengage, working with institutions to use federal funding to address student affordability. Learn more at cengage.com slash institutions. And Lock Lord, ranked since 2004 as the top public policy practice at a Texas law firm. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, proud to support this conversation 
because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of all Texans. So how is the campus two weeks after the storm? How much damage to buildings? How many students, faculty, and staff adversely affected? Do you have any sense of scope or magnitude? Yeah, it was really a very rough and tough time. And um, our buildings actually did quite well, but we did have um, damage. Um, there were at least three buildings uh, that uh, will need some time to repair and get them back. But the good thing is that all the classrooms, uh, we were able to get them back on Monday. Yeah. However, it's really not the buildings where the greatest toll came from this storm, it's on the people. 70% of our people um, suffered some kind of issues at their home or with, of course with technology and continue to do so, we've been helping them, but just going through that kind of trauma. And I know on Tuesday morning, I um, tried to check with all my vice presidents and deans just how things were and all but one had no power at that time. God, that could tell me what their scope was. I mean, we were just trying hard. I know so many were just standing in grocery store, parking lots, just trying to get connectivity. Some were just saying like, I don't have much power, but I can just do with text. But it, it was really rough time, but things are getting back to normal. Our students are extremely resilient. Our faculty and staff, I don't even know how to compliment them and what to say about them. Because I mean, look one after another, we had Harvey and the pandemic and now, um, now this, you know, winter storm, they have stood firm, they have stood tall, they have reached out to students. I mean, it is such a humbling experience to work with such a fine group of colleagues. Uh, it really has been a hell of a year, President, has it? Like you didn't have enough to worry about. You mentioned the pandemic, I mean, you start out a year ago, and we are literally in the one-year week, I think, from the place where most people associate the beginning of, of, um, of, of this period. Um, you go all the way back to that, then you come forward. The last time I interviewed you, which was a little more than four years ago, you mentioned to me that you're a bridge player and that bridge had taught you, don't complain about the hand you're dealt, just play your very best game. That's what you said. It's really hard not to complain about this bad hand isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you're right. I can't believe it has been four years. Where have you been, Evan? For four <laughs> years, you ought to be thinking about me earlier. But yes, I should be calling you every week. I agree. We'll, we'll, <laughs> no, we'll do that going forward. But, but seriously, I mean, it, it's very difficult to, to, to keep a, a, yes. you know, a positive attitude about what's happened over the last year. And again, the storm on top of everything else, it's really a lot. Yes. No, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I'm a bridge player and I always think about that. But here is the thing. During the times of crisis, um, I mean, leaders need to keep calm and leaders need to give hope. They have to be transparent. They have to be on the point and as good a communication as possible. However, at the same time, they have to keep calm and, uh, and they have to give hope. So I mean, I get inspiration from my, my faculty. I mean, they are suffering so much at their right. homes and yet here they, you know, they get on, you know, and they make calls and same thing with the staff. I mean, they were there taking care of over 3,500 students living on campus during all of this storm. Of course, they were suffering in their personal life too. So I, I guess you're right. You, we can complain, but complaining doesn't help really. So I 
try to do what, what is possible. But my first and foremost goal is, okay, next for next step forward. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense, uh, President, uh, uh, of what exactly has been lost over the last 12 months? Big picture. Can you quantify it? What kind of financial hit the University of Houston has taken? And what kind of mission hit have you taken in terms of your ability to do all the things that you are in business to do? Right. Absolutely sure. So um, for last year, which our, our um, year ended in um, uh, in August, for so from March to August, we took uh, for the University of Houston, um, I mean, I can tell you the system too, but University of Houston, we took about $80 million of hit. Yeah. This time for this year, we are looking at about $100 million of hit. And, um, you know, federal stimulus has, of course, helped. Our alumni and donors have helped. And, uh, you know, our faculty and staff has helped. We've not been able to obviously give them any kind of uh, raise or bonus, even though I, I will point out they are teaching more students right now and they're caring for more students right now than they were caring pre-pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, you have to think about, you know, that. So that's a hit. Now that's financial. We'll, we'll make it through. We, we keep on pleading with the legislature to just keep in mind that number one, uh, that we have been continuing with our mission and with our work, but at the same time, how important this is going to be the schools and education, general higher education or the future of Texas. Now in terms of mission, um, I can answer you two ways. One is our momentum and where we are going. Uh, we've tried not to take hit there over one year period when uh, during the pandemic, our faculty and staff and alumni, we continue to work toward our next strategic plan because we had launched the process in January and the pandemic hit in, in March. Right. We just unveiled it. And I don't, I mean, you can probably see from that plan and you can see from uh, all of the progress we have made in terms of record-breaking enrollment, record-breaking success in, in research grants and, and finishing up the capital campaign that we really have tried to work very hard and not lose the momentum. However, there is an area where I do think that we have taken hit, but I think that all the students, I mean, higher ed or public education has taken hit, and that is the connectivity and people not being able to be together. There is a lot of horizontal learning that goes on campuses, just like in the schools. And I think that missing piece, building of networks, you know, uh, you can do a whole lot of things online, you can continue, but is the question is to what extent can you be creative, you know, on online and some fields you can, in other fields it's very difficult. I mean, look at the arts, you know, look at some of these, um, you right. know, fields, you know, right? So I think that's where the maximum, uh, loss will be, but one more area, Evan, and if I just can take 30 seconds to point out is those students who are generally or prospective students who are sitting on the fence thinking, is college for me? They just have so much going on in their lives. And I just think for them, some of them may have made this decision, oh, I can't handle with all of this. I don't blame them, but the thing is, that's probably we need to do more work to make sure that they're, they're they don't lose out that one year of loss. We got to figure it out how to help them have the confidence, have the persistence, have the courage to go forward 
because otherwise that would be a loss for many, many, many years. Yeah, I want, I want to come to those students because there have been surveys that have shown that generally speaking, there are a number of kids who've changed their plans since the pandemic hit about what they're going to do after high school. And in particular, in communities of color, and you have a very diverse institution. So you have a high percentage of students who maybe come out of those communities. It's been particularly the case in those communities. But let me come back to that in a second. Let me stay with this question of online learning because, you know, there are a lot of people in higher ed and in, in public ed who will say, well, yes, online learning is not the same, but it's really good and we can really accomplish a lot. The fact is that for a lot of kids, it's never going to be the same. It's not just the social aspect of being on campus, but just as a means to educate uh, uh, your students, it just doesn't do the trick. So I want to ask you specifically about that. Do you think this has been a setback in terms of your ability to educate? Has online learning at the end of the day done the trick or has it been insufficient? You know, it, it, th this is the time when all of us were thrown into this experimentation, right? I mean, 20% of the faculty had ever taught online. Right. And for us, you know, 50% of students had ever taken a course, but now all the faculty had to teach. So yes, we struggled in March, April and so on. By now, I mean, I visit classes and I have visited virtual classes. I mean, I've visited about 20 or so in fall and now I've done about a dozen now. And what, what I hear from students is that this is a good option. This is a good flexibility. Technology could be more integrated, but do they want it completely replaced by what they can get the value added on a campus? I don't think so. I mean, I go anywhere in Houston I'm telling you, the students, if they see me, they'll come running and just plead with me, please, please, please bring face-to-face -face classes back. So yeah. my- they're, they're telling you that they want to come back into class for sure. They want to come back. And faculty too. Evan, my husband is a professor and right. I saw him, I watched him. And that's what gives me tremendous respect for faculty because I watched firsthand how he struggled in March. His argument was, oh, there's no way that my course content, I cannot, you know, do it possibly online. And I watched him struggle and watched him, you know, he spent so many hours. And, you know, by now, he's, he does a really, really good job. But if you ask him, are you going to be in classroom? He, every single time he has signed up for face-to-face -face class in fall yeah. and as well as in the spring. Well, you said, you said as president, you visited, you said you visited about 20 classes in the fall and now yeah. you're visiting classes. Are the classes that you're sitting in on, and I realize you being in the class is a little bit of a disruptive thing probably for the experience. If, if you were not known to be in the class, it might go, I mean, who doesn't want to impress the president of the university, right? I mean, you want to do your very best work. But I, to, to the degree that this is a real example of what online learning is like. Do you think to yourself, I'd want to take this class. I'd get something out of this class. I'd want to, I'd, I'd learn in a class like this. I mean, I, I just wonder if is your reaction as a consumer that this is a product you'd want to buy? So, so first, let me tell you, when I go to classes, I, you know, we, so I ask them specifically, tell me how is your experience going? I want to hear good. I want to hear bad so that I can do it better and I can right. help if I can, right? Right. And think about it. Yeah, students want to impress probably, but this is also their opportunity to went out and tell the president exactly what's not working. So I hear both sides of it. Yeah. And we try to bring in and improve on it. Okay, now in terms of your question about do I want to take online? Evan, it depends on pedagogy. Okay, in some classes, 
it really is quite effective. It does work, but in some classes, it just does not provide everything that students need. Or in right. sometimes you could you provide 50% of the content is good, suitable, but the other 50%, you do need people to come together, work in a group, be creative, and feed off one another's energy. So my, my thinking is right now, what is gonna happen when we come out of pandemic? Technology is gonna be a lot more integrated. Rather than missing a class, if you have something else, the students will be able to join in uh, online because we have 270 classes that are equipped now to do high flex and we intend to keep the, some of that flexibility. And I think some classes that sometimes the students will take online However, the entire thing taking online, I think there's still something you miss out. And yep. uh, it's, it's a good thing to, to establish network, know the teamwork, because that's what the workplace is going to need. And you raised a very good question earlier about students who need the most help. Are they the ones that are being left out? And that is one yep. of the worries why we need to come back, because we know we can drive students from underprivileged groups to right. succeed, but we also know that it's harder work. It's more hand-holding, it's more personal contact. And that's what we pride on. We haven't lost um, enrollment from, from underprivileged groups. As a matter of fact, we have grown in terms of our diversity. So, and we have not lost the students during pandemic more than we would have ever lost before. Persistent rates, graduation rates uh, is all high, dropout rate is low. And that's why I had started out saying that I give so much, so much credit to my faculty and staff. Right. I mean, we need to realize that the heroes in some other spaces too, and these are my heroes here. Uh, uh, President, I know that everything you're saying is true and that you and your faculty and staff are doing everything you can, but of course, some of this you don't control. One of the problems we've discovered over the last year is that many of the uh, students you serve from communities of color or from low-income communities, regardless of race, don't have ac access to Wi-Fi, right? And so one of the things that the legislature is taking up this session is can we finally have a state broadband plan? It's a little late because really it was during the pandemic that we saw where the digital divide created more haves and have nots. That surely has been a problem for you as well as everything has migrated online. Yes, I mean, we saw the problem in terms of not even having functioning laptops. Right. And immediately we come up, came up with, you know, 300 laptops so that we can, you know, hand it out to students uh, for the semester. And then we did see that too, that students really didn't have access uh, to, to, to Wi-Fi. Right. And, and so, so that's a wake up call. You know, I think anything we can do to, um, uh, to strengthen our technological reach, you know, whether it's broadband or whether it's, you know, their ability to be, to have the equipment, I think that's going to serve us better and, and we probably can do without it uh, yeah. Evan, because technology is going to be a very integral part from now on much 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 more so than we ever thought possible how are you going to quantify learning loss you mentioned the thought that you know this year potentially is a setback for a lot of your students We're, we've heard a lot about learning loss in k through 12 and i have to believe that you have your own version of that plus you inherit the learning loss in K through 12, right? There's always a discussion of if the public education system doesn't do a good enough job, kids show up on your doorstep in need of remediation. I have to believe that this is going to create further challenges for you as kids do get to your uh, campuses, having been through this period of whatever it is, a year and a half, 
you may have more of a need to work with, um, with some of your incoming students on their own learning loss from K through 12. Right, and, and this is a conversation going on national level among presidents as to what to expect now over next few years and how to prepare to even be stronger in our um, outreach and in our services and networks to be able to support the students. And not to mention, we've seen now and we're gonna see it for next few years, all of the issues related to mental health as well. I mean, and it's not just mental health in terms of students. I'm telling you, I've seen faculty and staff all right. very stressed and burdened. But again, either we can just uh, you know sit here in despair or we can say, okay, let's just let's just prepare and see what we can do. Let's just stay flexible. Right. Let's be compassionate right. and do our very best. And and I definitely intend to play our very best hand here in this game of bridge here. So, so you, you said that your enrollment is not down, correct? That you've actually been able to keep your enrollment. Um, how are you thinking about admissions going forward? I mean, I know, for instance, that a number of the big universities, University of Texas, uh, most recently last week, but surely not alone, has decided to extend the test optional policy for another year. In fact, I believe UT said specifically they're not going to require the SAT and the ACT uh, for the next class at least. Uh, are you doing the same? And what other acknowledgments of this awful year will alter your admissions process? Right. I, I think uh, it's quite likely that we might end up doing that. We have not made that decision. Uh, we'll go through our process to do so. But at the same time, we are also studying just to see what happened to, uh, to students when we took them without ACT or SAT. And did it have, uh, have make any difference? Because the empirical data is going to guide us whether for future we need something of that or maybe we need some other mechanism for admission. And this is again, a national conversation. Right. And I, I think it, it makes sense at this point to reset the button and try to see what makes sense for us to um, predict who is gonna be successful uh, at college with all of the help and all of the services and all of the things needed because you yeah. do need aptitude and you do need to have the desire and willpower you know, to succeed yourself as well. I mean, we talked earlier about the, the communities of color uh, potentially being at risk as entering students, right? This is a challenge. You have a high percentage of black and Hispanic students at the University of Houston. I think together it's, it's uh, approaching 40% of your enrollment if I'm reading the numbers correctly. Um, and it is in these communities specifically that the surveys have shown this year has been a particular challenge and that there are a high percentage of students in communities of color who are considering changing whatever their plans were uh, after high school because of the pandemic. I mean, it seems to me that one thing you could do conceivably, you and other public university systems and public university campuses is lower the obstacles to getting in. And, and I guess that at least gets in part to the question of admissions, um, whether you're willing to to give everybody a mulligan year, as they say on the golf course, right? And just say, okay, we know this was a difficult year. Maybe you don't have exactly what we're looking for typically in a student, but we understand the importance of giving you an opportunity in this moment, especially. I mean, both sides of the coin are there. I'm of course, uh, you know, using some kind of uh, criteria to for the students to come in. Um, you can't just open uh, because, uh, you know, you need to see their preparation level and what you will add to that. I'm not right. saying it's not our responsibility, but we have to see what we, we can add to it to make sure 
student is successful because the last thing you want is the student to come in and basically leave with the with the the diploma of failure, you know, that to me is not acceptable. So, well, well in, fact, in fact, the admissions piece, President, is really the first part of it, right? That's the beginning of the conversation. You get them in, but then you got to keep them in. You got to do retention. You got to do counseling. You've got to actually get them through the pipe. And that's a hard thing as well. Right. Both, both are equally hard. I just don't want students to be sitting on fence. And if anybody's listening, I would simply say, just don't, don't, don't give up. At least take a look at it. Sometimes I hear, I can't afford it. And, you know, we have Cougar Promise, which is, you know, families up to 65,000, those you know, that are FAFSA eligible or TAFSA eligible, we give them free tuition and fees. And up to 125,000, we give guaranteed assistance. So we, we are trying, but I just want to make sure they don't just give up, you know, at least try. And let's yeah. see that whether it's possible to succeed. I'm worried about those who are sitting on the fence and saying, is it for me or is it not for me? It may not be for you, but at least make sure that you don't let your dreams go away. But then, Evan, as you said, once we get them, you know, it's now much harder work because those who are with us, they have lost a year of network also, as well as those who are coming in new. We have to get them into the the college culture and the the college education and, and all of those things that come with it. So there is a harder work ahead for us. Yeah. And that is why I, I, I keep making my plea to the legislature that this is actually time to invest in higher education yeah. in a bigger way and not really make it harder for students to, to go through the, the pipeline. Whatever we can do us together, not resolving ourselves from the responsibility, but it's going to take a village for us to get over this right. and come out stronger than well, when we entered. Let's talk about the. I'm glad you brought up the legislature because I want to move the conversation to to the legislature and your what you know your agenda for this session and 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 how you want to work together with legislators and what you're hearing from them. You uh, uh, presented your plan to the Senate Finance Committee last week to be a top 50 public university. This has always been a conundrum, as you know, President, for Texas higher ed. As a state, our brand is that we want to be first and best at everything. But we find ourselves in the case of our public universities consistently lagging behind our peers. Right. I remember Greg Abbott saying before he was sworn in as governor in 2015 that five of the 10 public universities in the country are in California. None are from Texas. And he wanted to begin the process of elevating some of Texas's elite universities into the top 10 nationally. But that hasn't happened. We're now whatever we are now, six years later. Why do you think that is, that we're still talking about it and talking about it, but not actually meeting our words with action? Well, Evan, it's not an overnight switch that you become from here to to there, you know? Right, but we're talking about six years, President. I mean, it would be one thing if this were 2016, right? So so let me tell you in six years, you know, for us, I mean, six, I don't know how much we've grown in six, but in the last 10 years, we have come from being ranked 125th or in public university or 127, somewhere there, to now 87th rank among all public universities in the nation. So can yeah. we get to the 50? Yeah. But the question here is, what is it that we need to do? And we have done thorough analysis, all of the patterns, where we are right now at point A, what is going to take us to get to point B? And you know, the things that are extremely important for us is continuous focus on our students to succeed. The areas where we need to make improvement is affordability for students, 
is their success their, in terms of their graduation, their mobility and a social mobility for our students and what happens to them after they graduate. Now, all of these things, I feel very good about committing for them because I know if we commit to that, that's our core mission, we're gonna succeed in other things. Now, other areas is really raising our national reputation. You, you do that by having your core students succeed, but then you also do that by having research that is meaningful, that makes sense. And so for us, I think that goal makes it really a focused attempt. And I do think with some help, we can definitely get there. So to say that we haven't moved, we meaning higher education system institutions haven't moved in six years, isn't really true. We just haven't gotten to that finish line yet. I mean, with help, we can do that. I mean, you realize the two institutions that are in AAU or that are in the, in the top ones actually get a lot of extra funding through puff money, right? So you do realize that. Right. It right. takes resources, it takes vision, it takes leadership and commitment. I'm telling you, we've got the commitment. Our faculty and staff have shown their leadership. We have the city and the alumni here, we have the momentum. If we can get just a little bit help, I'm not touching all, so don't at all take it in any way that I'm you know, pointing to the puff money or anything. It doesn't matter to me what color the, the resources. All I'm saying is with just a little bit of help, we can put we can put this university in position and to where it should be for the fourth largest city in the United States, but also for the biggest economic center in the state of Texas. Right, right. And what exactly from the legislature would enable you to realize this vision for a top 50 university? What are you asking for specifically from them? Because again, this is a session in which even before the electric grid effectively collapsed on us, Right. There was going to be limited um, bandwidth among people in the building. It's a it's a, a weird session, right? People aren't really there. Uh, uh, the public and others are limited in their access to the building. The agenda is going to be much more narrowly focused on the tasks at hand. It was already going to be difficult. It's more difficult as a result of the last two weeks. So realistically, what is it that you expect so, and I, I understand that. I mean, I, I know our senators, I know our House members, and I tell you, I mean, that is one of the privileges of this job. You get to meet some of these wonderful people, you know, who really want to do the right thing. And I understand their, their you know, struggle. Um, but I, I think for all of the higher education, it's not just for University of Houston system. It's just important to just keep in mind that this is time for investment. So funding formula is, of course, everybody's bread and, bread and butter. It is important for every single institution. Now, we used to have in 2010-11 funding formula per student credit hour at $62.19. By this time, it's $54 okay, per student credit hour, and there's so, been so much of inflation. If you think about that, it's like $230 million loss by, the, this, by coming by NEM for us. Right, it's a, it's but, a, it's really a cut, isn't it, President? It's a cut. It just feels like a cut, but I, what what that's not what we need to be thinking about. Complaining, that for us, I can tell you, we can help Houston's economy. We can. We are looking at things that are more value added than just saying, okay, help the University of Houston. Right now, energy industry is in the middle of energy transition. I have this energy advisory board. They they are constantly 
for five years they've been talking and for five years ago we started accumulating what they said was going to be the need which is energy transition low carbon you know production for oil and gas so that you know you can have you know, what we have right now because we know there's going to be dependency on oil and gas for quite several decades and how do you reduce the carbon footprint so we have accumulated a lot of talent we are asking the state to help us in that area by having a carbon hub at the university of houston we're working at the federal level too so so this this is how i think um this could be a a investment in the community of course we are requesting just making sure the funding formula and the texas grants you mentioned about students from underprivileged communities right texas grants they they are so important they are an important piece of our work and i just want to make sure that can be protected well, well you know that uh, higher ed commissioner harrison keller apparently has been saying that he's concerned about potential cuts to financial aid this session it sounds like you are also that that Absolutely. cuts to financial aid would be a problem for you it definitely will be and there's no doubt about it and you know so basically and i'm not asking just for university of houston i'm pleading on behalf of all of our institutions because you see what an important job they all have done particularly in terms sorry i just get emotional and excited anyway in terms of research and trying to help with pandemic and trying to help with you know now wanting to get back into the game and help the economy i mean if yeah. you see the agenda from all of the institutions I mean, it's quite rich and quite inspiring, and uh, I think we have great partnership uh, in the legislature with the governor, lieutenant governor, our legislators, and I think we have positioned it right. Um, Greater Houston partnership here is 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 also consistent with our agenda. Right. And I'm really very um, optimistic uh, to, and I know that our leaders in Austin will do whatever is possible. to um to make this investment does the the funding question uh, president change as a consequence of the pandemic i'm thinking about the ways in which the after will be different from the before when you come back to campus after the pandemic has largely passed us by you're not going to do things exactly the way that you did them before i'll give you an example of of this so my understanding is that the university of houston wants 20 million dollars for a new law center and for the hobby building do i have that number right um the number changes so i don't know what number you have right now but that is but true. some but some number of millions right you have some yeah. number of millions you're requesting for a new law center right. for a hobby building right. Right. Uh, my understanding is that there was some skepticism among finance committee members this last week about why they should be allocating money for new buildings when not just you but all presidents are saying that the future of higher ed is a more hybrid model in person and digital has the pandemic shifted the way you're thinking about how you'd use new buildings in a new era of instruction to, to me that that's the question for yep. legislators and for you is does the funding model for higher ed really meet the particular moment we're in given all the changes that are likely to take place right and and it's it's a great question so things yes things will change i mean we have looked at all our capital projects and what we need to change because we can see anticipate some changes coming but i can tell you one thing about two things one is the space deficit on our universities even in pre pandemic was so huge i mean it really were there just too much right there so it's not like you, we were at level and therefore you don't need to invest any more if things shift so that's one thing and second thing is think about 
construction sometimes also is a helpful tool to rebuild the economy. So when I gave my testimony, I basically said, if that becomes a tool the legislature is thinking about to spur the economy, I at least want to know what is mostly needed on campus. Now that is from the last, last biennium, what we had requested for hobby school and for law center, and we weren't funded for that much. So that what you mentioned is that piece. But what we would like to get with TRBs also is actually a concept, whole concept of an idea lab, which is an innovation space. I mean, we have number one ranked entrepreneurship program. We've got Tech Bridge, and there is so much need to expose more to students, not just for students in one program, to the possibilities of the world about startups or how do you be creative and how to promote there, how to applaud their creativity. So the whole idea of this idea lab would be to give students that space where they can come and they can create, they can experiment with their ideas. And I think that's what is gonna be the future. So all types of things will change. I don't think we're gonna be building any more parking lots. I mean, I mean, parking garages. However, we are gonna be needing more collaborative spaces. The hunger and the deficit for a space is still there. So let's not dismiss that. But any any investment in technology is also going to help hugely. Our well, as you, as you said earlier, the reality is that um, you know you um, said that there were a lot of students who didn't have devices, right? I mean, there's a digital divide and there's a device divide. And if you have communities that don't have access to adequate devices to take advantage of online classes, it seems to me that the legislature could put up some money to ensure that every kid has adequate technology. I mean, that, that seems like a relatively small expense compared to some of these buildings. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'll do uh, what is necessary and their needs are different in different different places, you know? Right, so right. University, maybe everybody has a different kind of institution, but yes, for sure, the, the bottom line is our ability to help our students, get them to, to college and get them to finish college because yeah. that's gonna be future for Texas. So right. whatever it takes there, would be helpful, but also not to forget about the research thing because there are so much of fabulous research going on in health institutions, in academic institutions. We've realized how much of that is needed and necessary now as we went into the pandemic. Right. Right. So right. I think we, it's, it's, we are lucky. We have so many fine institutions. You know, it's, it's really Texas is in a good place. I think our revenue estimate was more positive before, of course, the storm than it was. We'll see where it goes. I yeah. trust. I mean, I know our, our leaders there. They understand. And all we have to do is just keep on make, giving them better tools and better um, case so that, you know, they can do their job there. Uh, well, you know, there's been a, a discussion over the last couple of sessions about the level of tuition charged by universities like yours, President. Um, there's a, a feeling on campuses that you know, you're being asked to do a lot. Legislature tends to balk at, um, you know, saying grace over, although it's not their decision, but essentially saying grace over, you know, increases, even modest increases in tuition. Is your sense that coming out of a, an economic downturn that has really shown our economy to be mortal over the last year in a way that it maybe wasn't mortal over the previous uh, economic downturns? Uh, is it your sense that, that you have to keep tuition where it is? Right. I mean, I know there's always a price versus cost versus value conversation. It's difficult to have that at this moment, isn't it? 
Right. Well, we don't know where that conversation will go, will go, but I can tell you this much that we passed that Cougar promise in February and the pandemic hit in March. And in yeah. February, our board said that we are making education free for students who are coming from families of 65,000 or less, right? Yeah. And, and the guaranteed assistance for up to 125,000 because we want to make sure people realize that it's affordable. And that's what public universities are supposed to do. Pandemic hit a month later. We could have said we're going to delay it, but no, that's our commitment. Good. That is something, yeah. affordability is extremely important for us. And, and Evan, it's one of the criteria of our reaching top 50 also. So we have to look at both sides. We make every tuition decision with a lot of pain and a lot of thinking. And then we try to help in so many different ways. But you have to also realize the students need support system is also expanding quite significantly. I mean, we didn't have to take, uh, you know, ever think about hunger issues. Well, now we have Cougar Pantry for students who may be struggling with that. We have Cougar Experience, which is for students to be able to stay in dorms and that, that scholarship also comes. We didn't do those kinds of things before. I mean, there are so many different right. things that we have expanded and mental health, let's not forget about that. That need is not going away anytime soon. But at the end of the day, if we don't plant the seed, how are we going to get the fruit? And this, this is the investment in higher education is like planting seeds right now. We need to do this so that economy can get better, workforce is prepared, we can right. attract good industry, an economy can really boost itself. But you're, make, you're making the case though, you're making the case, again, if the tuition door is largely closed here, you're making the case for why the legislature has to step up. Because otherwise you're back out into the community shaking your cup in front of donors, which you'll do anyway, but it just, you know, the, 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 the in order for the math to work, the source of, uh, of revenue has to come from uh, somebody. And it may very well be that it's the case you make at the legislature that- um, and, and I don't wanna, sound like legislature isn't doing anything because as I have been saying, I mean, let, there are so many programs from the legislature that help us, you right. know, that I can count so many of them that- Yeah, but it's just important, it's important that even in this difficult session, it sounds right. like that they, they just keep, keep it, it up. Is. And it's important for us to also look at every expenditure. I mean, we have saved right now during the pandemic. I mean, we just cut down all of the, the, the expenditures, every kind of thing. I mean, you should see I mean, we, we saved about $50 million through just the expenditure reduction because we didn't do a lot of things that you would do in a normal campus also. Yeah. And um, as come back, we will. Will you be back in class in person this fall, do you think? That, is our, that is our plan A, which is we will be back. But, you know, there is, we have always had to keep a flexibility there. When we started with the pandemic, we put two principles out there. One was flexibility and one was compassion. We're not jeopardizing people, uh, you know, health of our students, or safety or health of students or the faculty and the staff. So, so right you're, now- you're not guaranteeing. I see, President, I actually would have assumed oh, right. that with the prevalence of the vaccine and the way that the virus is going, that by September, I would have imagined that you'd be able to say with confidence, we're going to be back. Can you, can you guarantee, Evan, that there won't be another strength, you know, some kind of strain coming or there would not be another outbreak? I mean, we don't know. I am assuming yeah. all the optimistic things, all the best predictions, and giving all of that, I think we are going face to face because our faculty wanted, our students wanted. Yeah. 
Are you requiring vaccines sure. for are, are you requiring vaccines for students or faculty or are you attempting to figure out how the vaccine conversation can be part of the equation for you? Well, we, we, we're not requiring, but we don't even have vaccine available. I mean, we got for our campus, uh, you know, thousand vaccines and we, we're giving them with the guidelines uh, that are from the state and the, and the CDC. And uh, we have vac some vaccines come to our student health center. I just hope we can get more vaccines available. And I think, you know, we, we will be having a very different level of confidence in, uh, in what, where, what the fall will look, not just on campus, but in society, probably by end of June, that's what I'm hoping. But yeah, I, yeah. I can see the hunger and I can see the need for people to, to get back out into, into normalcy. And that's what um, we're right. preparing for too. What about football? Will you have a full house for the first home game of the year? And what are the considerations in your mind? I would love to do that, you know, but just because I would love to do that doesn't mean it can happen. So we'll just watch very carefully and we'll, we'll take CDC guidelines, Texas State. We'll also look at what's happening in the city and the community. And uh, I certainly hope so. I mean, why football? I mean, let's talk about basketball right now. Aren't, they, aren't we doing great with basketball? I'm well, I, 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 do, I do expect that you expect that you're going to have a good couple of weeks coming up, right? I think you were number 12, ranked number 12 the last time I saw it. I know. I certainly hope so. We beat the USF yesterday pretty bad. So yeah. I hope we, we do better and um, I hope we have a good you know, season and postseason. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but even I'm, when I'm watching sports and it gives me for, for at least that time period a little bit, little bit more sense of, of normalcy. I mean, there is yeah. something different, but we, of course, have to keep our student athletes very safe. And that, that has been our mission at NCAA because I serve on that board. Too. Well, I'm, remi yeah, I'm reminded that you're on the, and we'll, we'll wrap up here in a second. I'm reminded that you're on the NCAA board, have been for several years. Um, generally speaking, you think college sports has done a good job over this last year trying to preserve as much that, uh, of, of, of college sports as it can while keeping people safe. Speaking of balances, this seems like a pretty big balance. Yeah, and there, I can tell you, we have spent hours and hours and hours, and uh, nobody can tell me that NCAA didn't consider um, the safety and health of their students. We did, I mean, and I would say overall, given the circumstances, um, we, we traded it quite well. And uh, we closed, we, we shut down the, the championship for basketball last year when it just, everything was so unpredictable. We didn't know what we were facing with and uh, opened up slowly as things got a little bit better. And um, some schools have done better job and some schools have not, but anytime there was an issue and I think the team set out, um, I would say overall, yes, um, given the circumstances. Right. All right, last question. Uh, and I'm going to give you a free shot here, President. The last time I interviewed you, it was right around the time UT hired Tom Herman okay. away from U of H. You were gracious then. How do you feel about the way things worked out? Be as snarky as you want, because, of course, nobody listens to this podcast. Why should I be snarky? I'm always happy for other institutions, too. But, you know, here's the thing. I don't spend my time looking over my shoulder for the past, you know, I'm happy for whatever works out for anybody. I am focused on where we are and I'm certainly hoping we'll have a great football season. It's about time now. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, Renu Kator, 
And thanks to the sponsors of this episode, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Greater Texas Foundation, the Trellis Foundation, Cengage, Lock Lord, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.